Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Nona Jones. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Nona Jones is an international speaker, author, and the head of global faith-based partnerships at Facebook. Have you heard of Facebook? It's doing pretty pretty well. Facebook has has done all right these last few years. Nona held executive leadership roles across the private, public, and nonprofit sectors in her career. She's a graduate of the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. Nona was named one of Essence Magazine's Under 40 Women to Watch and Florida Trend Magazine as one of Florida's 30-something all-stars. She is currently president of the Gainesville chapter of the Lynx Incorporated and serves on the University of Florida Digital Advisory Council. She's done a million things. She has a brand new book coming out and we're actually friends. We've done a number of events together. Um, it was one of the situations where we were in green rooms together. I'd see her speak and I go, oh, she's fantastic. She needs to come on the podcast. That's how it happened. So we're going to jump into the podcast. But first, a quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. Every year, I set crazy big goals. And every year, there's one productivity tool that I use to help me reach them, the Finish Calendar. I've been using it for over a decade, and it's helped me crush goals like running a 1,000 miles in a year, growing my business, and writing a New York Times bestselling book. Thousands of people have bought them over the years too. Why? Because it works. It's not magic, it's science. Study after study has shown how important tracking your year is. But my favorite came from the University of Kostanz in Germany. They showed that when you track when and where you're going to work on something, you double your chances of success. Let me say that again, you double your chances of success. This calendar is massive, it's beautiful, it's motivational, and it comes in paper or dry erase. On top of all the other amazing features, you can choose to display it vertically or horizontally because this bad boy is also double-sided. If you've got a big goal or a lot of big goals, grab a finished calendar today at finishcalendar.com. Once again, that's finishcalendar.com. Let's jump into my interview with Nona Jones. Nona, I'm so glad that we get to talk today. We connected maybe a couple months ago in Dallas. We were in a green room. We'd kind of done a bunch of things together, but never been in the same space. And we finally got to hang out. And I knew immediately, I said, hey, you've got to come on the podcast. So thank you for joining me today on All It Takes is a Goal. Oh, thanks for having me, John. It's truly a joy to be here. And we were laughing a lot before we even started the <laughs> recording, which is always like podcast rule number one. You never like don't miss the good stuff before you record. But I was joking about your your bio because your bio is impressive. <laughs> um, so there's a couple things I want to hit on. One, um, at 23, you were appointed to your first executive role with a Fortune 500 company, mm -hmm. 23. Um, you were on Essence Magazine's 40 Under 40 Women to Watch. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic. You're a songwriter. You've written a bunch of books. So my first question, especially for a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal, is were you always a go-getter? Mm -hmm. Like, were you one of these kids that's like, I had a paper out at four? Or is it something you learned over, over time and you just kind of picked up speed and momentum? Oh, man, I love this question because um, the answer to that is yes. And the reason why I was always a go-getter is probably because as I reflect back on my life, from a very early age, um, I remember that my mother, she didn't typically feel proud of me or say kind words unless I brought home a really good report card. Other than that, 
it would usually be, you know, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, she would call me fat. There was just all this dysfunction mm -hmm. happening. And so I think that my ambition was really fueled by rejection, just being totally mm -hmm. transparent. And so I can remember from an early age, you know, really trying to make my teachers proud, trying to make my classmates mm -hmm. laugh, um, because it was very performative. And even becoming an executive at such a young age, I can now see that so much of that ambition really came out of a toxic place. Um, but yeah, that's always been the case for me. So it came out of a toxic place, but you've clearly worked on it. So you've yeah. redeemed that ambition because it's not, I think sometimes when you have that background mm -hmm. and it's the fuel has been toxic, you think you can, you can think, well, I should just not be that way, right. but you're a person who's designed to do great stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't say, okay, wow, because the fuel was bad, mm -hmm. the Ferrari must be busted too. You said, yep. okay, I need to change that. What were some of the things you did to kind of go, okay, I am going to, I am designed to be driven in a good way. I am mm -hmm. designed to do something big. How did you kind of redeem that ambition then? Well, I, so first of all, it's, it's striking and I'm sure you've, you've done this research, but, um, a vast, I won't say majority, but a, a, a vast number of wildly mm -hmm. successful people came from very traumatic pasts. So whether it was, you know, fatherlessness, poverty, um, maybe they um, grew in a home where there was violence and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And that's a typical experience in very successful people. I think the point of redemption, for me, it came with the realization that as much as I had achieved, I just wasn't happy. <laughs> it, 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 it was a point at which I realized, it, I remember it vividly. Um, I was actually at the White House. I was at an event. Um, it was, you know, the president was there. The first lady was there. Heads of state, dignitaries, um, leaders from around the country were there. And here I was, I think I was maybe, I don't know, 27, 28, 29 at the time. So really young. And I remember looking around the room and I was like, wow, I can't believe I was actually invited to be here as if somehow I should belong here. I don't feel like I belong here. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the moment in time when I started to do some internal exploration to figure out how is it that they think I belong here, but I don't. Like what is happening inside of me? And mm -hmm. I began to figure out, oh wait, this has roots in words that were spoken over mm -hmm. me as a child to where, mm -hmm. yes, I technically deserve to be in this room, but I don't believe I do because of things that yeah. were said to me. Were you, and this is, I love that your very first answer to the very first question wasn't like, I've always had a day planner. I have a calendar. <laughs> you were like, well, I had some deep rejection as a yeah. child. I was like, okay, okay. Like <laughs> minute one, let's go, Nona. This yeah. is why I wanted you on the podcast. Have you been able to, with your mom, have that discussion? Like, is this like, and again, like if you want to go, hey, whoa, whoa. But oh, like, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really transparent person, which is why okay. I started where I started because Personally, yep. and this is like a sidebar, I'll come back to your, your question. Mm -hmm. I think we spend so much of our life living behind a mask, um, pretending to be something that we're not, trying to, um, trying to get people to accept us for who we're not, that we end our life basically not even being ourselves. And so to that point, I did try to have the conversation with my mom and I did try to tell her, hey, you know, there were some other things that happened in my childhood that I think lent themselves to other dysfunction in my life. But um, in having a conversation with her, she basically just kind of said, hey, it's not my fault. Um, she even said it was my fault <laughs> as a person. She was like, you, you, it was your fault. 
Um, and so you as a six year old, that was oh, your fault. Correct. Like as a, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, my fault. Yeah. And so, um, that, but I will say this, John, like, I think even that in some ways was empowering. I made a post recently because I was reflecting on the role of rejection in my life. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is rejection was actually a gift because it can be a gift or of course it could be a curse depending on the mm -hmm. condition of your heart. But for me, it was a gift because what it did is it caused me to be able to stand on my own. I realized that number one, my mom was wrong um, and I didn't internalize it and I didn't see her um, opinion as my truth. And so in many ways, rejection has actually helped me to be more of who I am. So uh, it's not always a bad thing. It invited you to to Nona faster than maybe you would have gotten on your own. <laughs> yes, that's right. Huh? I love that. How um how did you not get stuck in like a cycle of blame or victimhood? Because mm -hmm. it would have been completely easy for you to go, this was my lot in life. I had a, a, a tough background. So mm -hmm. therefore I, ha I had a tough past. So I have to have a tough future. How did you not get stuck in that? Or what are some of the things you do to go, no, you know what? I got a future ahead of me. Here's what I'm building. Here's what I'm doing. I was actually there for many years. I would say... Mm -hmm. In high school and in college, um, I, I absolutely, I blame my mom and my circumstances and, and how I was raised. Um, but I think it was realizing that regardless of what happened to me, I remember one time I was, I was, um, I was a microbiology and cell science major and I was in organic chemistry. And there were these kids in the class who were talking about how I wasn't the smartest and I wasn't this and I wasn't that. Um, back in those days, there was such a thing as affirmative action. And mm -hmm. they even said, oh, you're just an affirmative action case. That's how you got here. This was in college? Oh yeah, this, this was is... in college. This was in college. And in that moment, I could have absolutely, I could have accepted what they said. I could have received their mm -hmm. assessment, but I scored an A on the exam and they got a C. And what I realized in that moment was that, yes, people can think lowly of me. People can even say, I don't deserve to be here. People can think, you know, that somehow I'm, I'm a special case. Um, but that's not necessarily the truth. And so that was the point of inflection for me, where I realized I could create a different future regardless of my past. And so it became a, a moment of kind of empowerment. I hadn't yet done I think the, the self work that I needed to do to really get healed from the past, but I at least had that insight that my future and my past are actually not completely connected. There, there's an influence, but they're not sure. connected. It's not one-to-one. -one. It's not right. the, the past isn't the predictor of the exact future. Yes. Well, that's, it's interesting. Did you develop self-awareness over time? Because it's very self-aware to go, some students made fun of me in a really terrible way. And then later when you get the grade, you go, wait a second, mm -hmm. I did this. They did like, there's a lot of self-awareness in a lot of your inflection moments at the white house. There is self-awareness, something you work at. Is it something you've, you know, would you say you were always self-aware or it's been something you've practiced? It's something I work at now. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, as I look back on my life and it's so funny, I kind of almost feel like I'm having a therapy session right now. Um, as, I, as I look back over my life, what I realize is part of what happened as a result of my trauma as a child is I did become, I think, hypersensitive to um, myself, 
like hyper, hyper aware of what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And now I know that some people who experience trauma can have the opposite effect where they become they go numb. numb. They go numb. Yes, they go numb. And so I had, I had the effect where I just became hypersensitive to myself and man, how is this making me feel? And, and what do I need to be thinking about this? Um, so yeah, I think that's part of my posture and my orientation in life is just to think about how is this landing on me and, and process that. Yeah. And I, I think it comes through in what you write and um, your new book. I, I certainly think it comes through. I mean, if you've, if you've listened to the first 10 minutes and you're like, oh man, Nona's really honest and really mm-hmm. brave in the discussion. That's what her writing's like. So the new book's about comparison, mm-hmm. which I don't think anyone on the planet is like, what, why do we need a book on comparison? <laughs> Everybody's got that figured out. Like if anything, like everyone's drowning and you wrote a book about how to float. Yeah. So from your position and you work for Facebook, which is really fascinating. Like that's a fascinating <laughs> wrinkle for a comparison because mm-hmm. I think most people would say, uh, you know, like social media is yeah. part of my comparison. What made you want to write a book about this topic to this culture? <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, I wrote the book because if you would have asked me three or four years ago, if I was insecure, I would have said, absolutely not. I would have said, there's, of course I'm not insecure. I mean, look at all I've done. Look at all I've accomplished. You're at the White House at 27. Come on, right? Like, yeah. And But I had an experience. This was back in 2020, early 2020. I had an experience happen that actually made me confront myself. What happened was, like you, you know, 2020, Mm -hmm. I had a full calendar of speaking engagements. Y'all, 2020 was going to be lit. Like, that's the word. It was going to be so good, dude. It was going to be so lit. Two books coming out. I was speaking Let's on go, Nona Jones. like, this is going to be amazing. Well, of course, all that got canceled. And I was sitting yeah. at my computer one morning, getting ready to log on to a video meeting. And I just kind of logged on to Instagram to respond to comments. And I caught a glimpse of my news feed right before I went to respond to comments. Yeah. And a friend of mine made a post where she said, oh, I'm so excited because I'm speaking at this huge women's conference. It's going virtual. It normally meets in person. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I scrolled down and I saw another friend who was so excited to announce that she was speaking at the same conference. Scroll down again. It was another friend who was so excited. And so I scroll and scroll and scroll. And I kid you not, John, at least a dozen of my friends were speaking at this conference. Mind you, I knew all the speakers. I knew the host. And so in that moment, I thought, why wasn't I invited? Like, why wasn't I invited? Why was I overlooked? Why was I not good enough? Um, why her, not me? It got so bad, John. I went to their profiles on Instagram. I was like, how many followers do they have? Like, oh, I went to yeah, their yeah, website. Yeah, yeah. I was like, let yeah. me see what other events are speaking at. Like, I, <laughs> it was crazy. Dude. And so it was in that moment where I was going through this whole process. And then another thought came to me. Instead of like, why them, not me? Why am I not good enough? The thought that came to me was, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Like, why does it matter that I wasn't invited to speak at this event? Like, why am I now spiraling into these questions mm-hmm. of inadequacy? Listen, I knew this conference. I had heard of it before. I had never, ever desired to speak at the conference. Yeah. Like, it was never a thing where I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the apex of my speaking yeah. career. It was never that. This is my dream. This, this is my dream. No, but it was in that moment when I saw all of my friends and peers speaking at this thing, that it triggered something in me that made me realize, wait a minute, there's a seed of insecurity on the inside of me and I've got to mm-hmm. figure this out because 
I mean, I should be secure. I should be able to see these people succeed and not feel like a failure. But I mm-hmm. felt like a failure in that moment. So that's why. That's where it came from. That's what started uh, my journey. So that curiosity of, okay, I'm doing this. And I, I feel like great books often start that way where the author, especially nonfiction, mm-hmm. has a, they, a question about their own life. They work on it to figure out a solution. Mm-hmm. Then they go, do other people have this same question? Mm-hmm. And then they find out, wow, they do. It's worth doing a book because it'll help a lot of people. And it feels like that's where this this got started. Mm-hmm. My my wife, the joke she'll always do is like, if we don't get invited to some party, I'll be like, oh man. And she'll go, well, you wouldn't have wanted to go. Right? And I always go like, yeah, but it'd still be nice to tell them no. I would still have liked to have told them no right. if they invited me. Right. Like, cause it'll be a group, like it'll be something I would have hated doing. It'll, right. You know, it'd be like some boat it's tour. So like, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that boat tour through downtown Nashville, but I would have liked to have been included right. so I could say no to it. Yeah. So That's funny. So it's so human. And I think one of the things I like about the book, um, I, I love alliteration. I'm a son of a pastor, so I, I love alliteration. I want to talk through your your three R's, if you will, mm-hmm. kind of your comparison detox process of recognize, reframe, and release. Yeah. Can you can you walk us through that? Because somebody listening right now will go, okay, comparison is a really big topic, but I think you get really practical with a lot of the advice you give. It's not just a Hey, stop it. I think yeah. books that say stop comparison as if, oh, I'll just turn that off. I didn't know it was a switch. Thank you for that that mm-hmm. very helpful book. But you actually get tactical. So can you can you hit us up with recognize, reframe, and release? Oh, you got it. Well, let me first set this up by saying, you know, comparison, not all comparison is bad. So, you know, so physiologically, there's a when we inhale air into our lungs, when we take in air. Um, we feel invigorated, we feel enlivened, we feel energized. Well, that is the physiological process known as inspiration. When you inhale air into your lungs and you feel invigorated, you are essentially inspiring air. When you see someone doing something amazing and you know you are invigorated and you're enlivened by it, it's called inspiration. And that happens because of healthy comparison. What I deal with in my book is toxic comparison because the opposite of inspiration physiologically is when you exhale air out of your lungs. And when you do that, you feel fatigued, you feel tired. As a matter of fact, when you take your last breath, it's called your expiration date. And so when you feel expired, when you feel exhausted, when you feel like you can't measure up, that's toxic comparison. And so what I want to deal with in in this kind of three-part framework is number one, you have to recognize when toxic comparison is triggering insecurity. Because there, you know, and, and going back to your earlier point, many people blame social media for comparison. Um, and while I do believe that social media exposes our insecurity, I don't believe it's the source of our insecurity. Because two people can look at the exact same post. One person can walk away inspired and another person can walk away expired. So you have to recognize, you know, when do I feel expired and what's happening with that? And why do I feel that way? What are the thoughts that are running through my mind? Um, Recognition matters because you cannot and will not change what you don't acknowledge. Many of us will, like I said earlier, many of us will deny insecurity until our death day. <laughs> I'm not insecure. Yeah, yeah. I got it all together. I got it all I got together. All I, together. I want about. everybody yeah. to succeed. I love everybody. Uh, but then, oh, yeah, all like rising <laughs> tides lift all boats. Yes. I heard I heard some people say that once about a really successful book, 
And I could see in their eyes, they were so mad that that book had been successful, but we're supposed to go like, no, it's good for all of publishing. I was like, that's not even true. Nobody goes, I bought this book. So I bought 10 others. It's just, I got into a shopping frenzy. I bought so many books. We were all secretly, not so secretly, very jealous of this person, but we all in the circle had to be like, I'm just so happy. Like, oh, it's so fake. It's not, but I mean, enough. That's the human condition. It's like, we have to recognize it and be like, okay, what is it that's happening inside of me that's making me feel this way? And one of the concepts I discussed in the book is this idea of insecure foundations, because Mm -hmm. fundamentally, insecurity isn't about self-esteem. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's really a question of what is your identity secured to? And is it secured to something that is subject to other people's approval and other people's evaluation? because that's what leads to insecurity. So recognize what is my identity secured to? In this moment for you, you know, we just talked about this book sales. My goodness, we're authors. So it's like, if my book doesn't sell so much or doesn't get an award or recognition, then now I'm crushed, right? Oh yeah. Because part of my identity is secured to that. So that's recognized this idea of reframe. So it was something that came to me as I was going through my own process to get free from toxic comparison. And I know you know this as someone who has like a a marketing background, um, but in marketing and politics, the idea of reframing is really about changing the way that you see something. It's about changing your vantage point, changing your context. And so what reframing does is it helps you to see whatever it is that's triggering your insecurity differently. So let's just say, um, that somebody, you know, you're, you're launching a business or you're um, trying to lose weight and you see someone wildly successful in their business or you see someone dropping weight like water. And your first, you know, inclination would be to be like, oh gosh, you know, they're always winning, you know, they're always succeeding. But what reframing does is it makes you say, wow, they're always winning, they're always succeeding. What can I learn from them? Mm-hmm. So now it's no longer about seeing them as competition. It's really about seeing them as inspiration. And what can I learn from them to aid my purpose? And the third part of this framework, again, the the idea of releasing is just getting to the place where you no longer allow what you see to trigger what you see about yourself. So just because somebody else succeeds, I no longer see myself as a failure just because of their success. And that happens when we adopt a humility mindset. What is humility? Humility is so misunderstood. People think it's about thinking lowly of yourself. No, Mm -hmm. humility is about simply fully occupying your lane in life, whatever that is. Listen, I will never be a best-selling fiction writer. Like that's just not my lane. So why would I be upset that a fiction author is is doing amazing things? That's not my lane. And Mm -hmm. so release it. I'm no longer triggered by another person's success because I know what my lane is. So that's that's the framework. Well, and I think the reframe, what's interesting about that is you're 100% right. If you don't reframe it, you don't get to learn from so many things. Okay. Like, cause you, you miss, so like the other day, we realized uh, the, the team that, that I work with, that because Instagram is not 
showing a lot of love to photos. I'm not blaming you specifically as a Facebook employee <laughs> and member of Meta, um, but but Reels, like Reels is the thing. Yeah. So we saw a friend of ours named Sean animated one of his tweets. Mm -hmm. Like it was a screenshot, he animated it, went through the roof. We're like, oh, we need to put a little animation, <laughs> a little bit of music, turn that tweet into a Reel. I got the game and yeah. I wasn't mad at Sean. I wasn't like, I'm so jealous he did, figured that out. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that. And yeah. so then- <laughs> I was able to learn versus shut off and go, oh, I'm mad that Sean figured Yay. something out. Instead, I can go, good for Sean. Like, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna figure that out too. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that's one of the powerful things about Reframe is that it opens you up to so many yes. other sources. Like when I saw Tom Brady, you live in Florida. I mm -hmm. saw Tom Brady play once for Tampa Bay. And I was inspired. Like I wanted to do push-ups and eat better. <laughs> like I was like, cause there was like that sense of like, okay, you're around greatness. Yes, yes. Like, okay, I want to be great too. <laughs> so it, it just, it's funny if you're open to it, you can then go, okay, I, I get inspired. Absolutely. I, I want to do it. Which of the three do you think people have the most trouble with? Like oh, if you had to one. say, okay, the first recognize. one. Yeah. Recognize. Okay. Because I think somehow we've been conditioned to believe that if we admit insecurity, that that's what makes us insecure. <laughs> yep. uh, so we'll deny it all day long. Uh, we will we will just say, oh, you know, I I appreciate them. I think they're so great, so amazing. While on the inside, we're dying. We can't even get to reframe. We can't even get to release without starting there. We've got to start with recognition. Yeah, if you can't recognize it, you can't you can't fix it. Have you seen that with successful people you're around? Like when you're in, because you, you get to big rooms and you get to spaces in your job, in your career, um, where you're with people that you would think on the outside they've got it all together. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't have the same kind of insecurities that like normal people do. They're you know they they've reached a certain level. Are you ever, do you ever recognize that in people that you go, oh, wow, even the most successful have, sometimes they have the biggest insecurities because they're just trying to fill that insecurity with even bigger success. John, I tell this story in the book where I was speaking at a church. This is a very, very large church, mega church. And I was heading out to worship because I always like to participate in worship mm -hmm. before, sure. uh, before I speak. Well, the, the pastor of the church, who is very well known, um, he had his assistant grab me because he wanted to meet with me. Now, mind you, John, I'm thinking, oh man, this is about to be like really deep. Like maybe yeah. he's been praying about something and he wants me to yeah. speak. I don't know. So I go back to his office and like, I'm like, wow, he's about to say something really deep. John, this pastor was like, no, no. Can you get me a blue check? <laughs> and now I kid you not, like this is a pastor who regularly flies. Because you work jets. for Facebook. Yes, but <laughs> this is what he said that that helps me realize just how yeah. how high insecurity can climb up the so-called yeah. ladder. This yeah. is what he said. I said to him, you know, I'm happy to try to help. I can't guarantee anything. He says yeah. to me, Oh man, well, if you can make it happen, that would be so great because my friends will be so jealous. <laughs> Now I'm thinking, wait, so they're not jealous about your best-selling books. They're not jealous yeah. about you having thousands of members. They're not jealous about you flying on private planes. Like they would be jealous yeah. about a blue check. And so it helped me to see in that moment, like, yeah. no, this, this thing plagues us regardless of our success. 
Yeah, and that is so funny to me. And I, I think what Nona just said is she would love y'all to DM her for a <laughs> check. Is that what you're if you're listening right now and you're like, I would love Nona to hook me up. She's got she's got a pocket full. She's just got oh stacks. She's just throwing them out, throwing them out. That is, I guarantee I've never thought about that before, but I guarantee anyone who works at Facebook, even like in a small position oh, has yeah. friends go, oh, yeah. Hey, I got a new skateboard uh, Instagram <laughs> that I would love to get a blue check on. Why oh, don't I've you had, hook I've me up? I've had a pastor who had, I think he had like 200 followers maybe. And he was yeah. like, I really need a blue check because I'm being impersonated. And I was like, there's no way, but no okay. one, no one, <laughs> no one. that is, that is so funny. I hadn't thought about that wrinkle of your job. Um, I, I want to transition a little bit to let's talk Facebook. Cause You've got this amazing position. That's that's where we first connected. Yeah. Um, is in a in a speaking event. So, how long have you worked at Facebook? What do you do at Facebook? Um, do you and Mark Zuckerberg like do that <laughs> windsurfing thing he's into? Like, tell me about Facebook. Um, so, I've I've uh, actually been with the company for five years, and um, I uh, have the privilege of leading um, a team that's comprised of a few different functions. One mm-hmm. is our North America Community Partnerships team, which really works with organizations and public figures and leaders who are using Facebook platforms in order to build mm-hmm. community. And so mm-hmm. uh, you will see things like, you know, Peloton as a brand, they have a, a really thriving uh, community on Facebook. And so you'll have other people, we have a, a community called Octonation, which is doing an incredible mm-hmm. job uh, gathering people together who love Octopi. So all of those things yep. are cool. Yep. Um, then I also am responsible for our global faith partnerships team, which works with houses of worship of all type all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as our uh, product team. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> every day is different. Um, no, I have not been windsurfing uh, with Mark <laughs> just yet. Um, that's, I mean, that's probably going to be the title of this podcast. I, I need some listens. Oh I got to have the titles going to be like, has she windsurfed with Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> Question mark. Listen, you'll be shocked. Like, that's how I'm going to have to, oh, I mean, goodness. I don't want to have to write that, but that's, that's what people need. <laughs> I, but to your point about community, so I we have a Facebook community that has like 17,000 people in it, wow. and they're amazing, and yeah. they like they go to each other's weddings, oh, yeah. and will support each other through cancer. It's just, it's been really fun. What would you say, if somebody's listening to today, and they're like, oh, okay, I recognize the value of a Facebook community and what social media, because we often hear about the negatives, like oh, we yeah. hear a lot about the negatives, but the flip side, the positive that you'd encourage any listener to go, hey, if you've got a goal, and you want some encouragement or if you want to grow your own community what are some tips to engaging a facebook community in a healthy way well so let me first distinguish between because there's there's a personal profile there's a page and then there's a community so your personal profile is of course um, how you show up on facebook as yourself so that would be uh, how you show up to your friends and your family Um, your page could be maybe it's your brand presence or uh, maybe it's just a place where you represent your business now your community is the place where you want to gather people together around a shared interest in order to facilitate conversation and relationships. That's a very different use case than for your profile or for your page. And so uh, what I encourage people to do is if you are passionate about a topic and you know other people that may be similarly passionate, that's the perfect reason uh, to create a Facebook community. And you would be shocked, to your point, the, the depth of relationships that are forged in these communities because sometimes people feel alone. Like, I mean, how many people do you know that love Octopi? That just yeah. go like, like love looking at pictures of Octopi and go to aquariums 
I thought you were going to talk about people who had eight kids. Like when you said we have an octo community, I was like, it's just that one lady, that one lady. I'm sure there is. (laughs) That's what I thought. I was like, well, there was two paths. It was the lady who has eight kids or octopus. And I was like, I made a guess. I was wrong. She might have a fan community. I wouldn't be surprised. She does. She yeah. She probably does. does. So, but yeah, yeah. No, No, you're right. In my town, if I was into octopus, I would probably feel very lonely unless. I knew there were other people that, and I was actually in a, a, a a big virtual event recently where somebody wanted to talk about octopus and and like, now I would be like, well, they have that Facebook has that. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's truly what I think is one of the greatest advantages of the platform is you get to meet people who have shared interests and, Yes, we know that there is content on the platform that isn't fun, um, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, welcome to humanity. Welcome, humanity. welcome to humans. Look, welcome to people, humans. People are people everywhere they go, in person yeah. and online. And so, yeah. It's <laughs> so funny. Well, I only have three more questions because I know you're about to jump on a plane. You're all over the place right now. You've got like 17 different jobs. I love <laughs> watching you do what you do. It's super inspiring to me. Um, but three questions left. First one is you're an avid runner. You yeah. ran, you've run 13 half marathons. If the, if your bio's up to mm-hmm. date and one was in Paris, France, how did you get into running? What do you love about running? Man. So I would have never imagined that I would be a runner. Um, so 10 years ago, I was uh, very close to 300 pounds. I was a hundred pounds heavier, 120 wow. pounds heavier than I am today. And um, I had two young boys Um, I felt tired all the time. My joints ached all the time. I had tried fad diets and all that, and I would lose weight here and there, but I'd always gain it back. And then one day I just made the decision that I was going to do the thing that I had never done before. I was going to just eat right and exercise. (laughs) I was going to like, just do the That's crazy. What a concept. What a concept. Revolutionary concept, guys. (laughs) Um, but what I did, cause I would always admire runners. Like I would see people out running for just no reason. You live in Florida. Everybody's <laughs> running. Con- like it's so attractive. Everybody in Florida is so attractive. You have like two types of people, attractive people and people who own fan boats. Whoa! Like those are the yeah. two. <laughs> but I would see people running down the street and I, I just, I was, I think I was just intrigued. I was like, yeah. why are you running? And no one is chasing you. Like it didn't, yeah. it just didn't compute. And so I decided, man, I want to be a runner. So I downloaded the Couch to 5K app, did that over nine weeks. Then I signed up for my first half marathon. It was like eight months away. My goal was just to run the, the race. Like I didn't plan to PR. I wasn't trying to do yeah. anything. I just wanted to run it straight through. And I think I ran it in like two hours and 27 minutes. And when I crossed that finish line, John, there was something that happened. Like I cried because not only was I 60 pounds lighter by then, um, but I realized I could do something that I never would have thought was possible. And so I got back to my hotel room that day and I signed up for another race. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> it. That's what's up, Nona. <laughs> oh, I love it. And you use the momentum of that first one to go, let's go. We're let's doing go. a second one. Yep. Yep. I love it. Well, I, as a runner myself, it's always fun to hear somebody else's kind of origin mm-hmm. story. Second question, what is on like your Mount Rushmore of nonfiction books? So I'll ask the question that way, or what's a book you've given away more than any other book other than your own? So like for me, War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, mm. I give people a lot of copies of that because that's one of those nonfiction books. It helps me with fear. It helps me with resistance. What's a nonfiction book that you're like, oh man, this is a book I really like. So I, Essentialism by Greg McKeon is- Oh my, yeah. Yeah, I, I give it to my team. I tell friends to read it because- 
and you know this, like, man, it's so easy to get caught up in the rat race of just doing everything and being everywhere simply because you don't want to disappoint people. But I think what that book did is it really challenged me to get super crisp on what is like, what am I living for? (laughs) And and like, what am I filling my life with that is taking me from what I'm really living for? And so it helped me get like really laser focused on that. Um, so yeah, essentialism. And I just finished a book. It's a uh, deep work. Hold on. Deep work. Oh, Cal Newport. Yes. Cal Newport. I yeah. just finished it. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. So those are two books. I, I <laughs> those are great answers. And I love that you use the word crisp. Like that's a great way to think about priorities. Like, yes. I like crisp. That was, I was like, Oh, I like that. I like that. Last question. This one's a super easy one. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they get the new book? Give us, give us all the things. Oh, cool. Well, um, so you can go to killingcomparison.com to learn more about the book, to order it. Um, and then you can find me on all the social platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, even TikTok. And uh, I just joined TikTok. Uh, I, hey. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, my, my handle is the same across all. It's at Nona, not Nora. Nona, not Nora. That's great. <laughs> all right, Nona, I'm so glad we got to do this. Congratulations on the book. Um, congratulations on all the stuff you're working on. It is super inspiring. You talk about that difference between comparison and inspiring. I think another thing that helps is when you get to know the person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been people I've been comparing myself to, and then I meet them and I realize they are completely unhateable. Like they're just, they're <laughs> right. just like another person. And they're like, I don't know how that book blew up. Like, I don't you right. know. Like, and you go, oh, and you didn't get successful as a way to make me feel bad. That wasn't your motivation. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. You don't say. So I love that we've gotten to know each other. Um, I look forward to doing another event with you in the future. Uh, I want to go to that event that apparently was titled Everyone But Nona. That felt like the name of that conference was like, no one tell no one tell Nona was the name of that event. It was in Memphis. It was a very big event. It's called No One Tell Nona. And unfortunately, Nona found out about it. So, this is so great. Yeah, yeah. Just had your picture on it with a big X through and they're like, make sure Nona doesn't find out about it. They were like, what's your name? My name's Mary. You're hired. You're hired. It's not Nona. You can be on this event. That's what it feels like when you do comparison. No yeah, no Nona's allowed. We have a zero Nona policy. So we have very low tolerance for Nona. That's so funny. That's so funny. Oh, Nona, this has been a blast. Uh, mm. Safe flight, safe travels the rest of the day. And thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, John. This is such a delight. We got to do this again. I appreciate you. Awesome. We will. Thanks, Nona. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview today with Nona Jones. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you write are super duper helpful. So keep those coming. I really appreciate it. Please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. I'll see you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. And don't forget to pick up your copy of the Finnish calendar, brand new, massive, beautiful, double-sided vertically or horizontally paper or dry erase at finishcalendar.com. Once again, that's finishcalendar.com. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. Podcast.